Welcome to the Master of None podcast, adventures in a hands-on life. Build, grow, cook, train, explore. We are back this week with more winter driving safety. So last time we talked mostly about just kind of some general considerations, things to prepare for, things to think about before you get on the road, things to check, whether it's the weather, the road conditions, the forecast, uh, your vehicle condition, your tire condition, things like that. We covered a lot of that stuff. And then some general knowledge about your vehicle and what makes a vehicle handle well in winter conditions and just being aware of your vehicle, its capabilities, maybe its strengths and weaknesses. So this week we're really going to focus on gear that you can have with you in your vehicle, some basic vehicle handling tips for if you're driving on ice or snow, and then some tips if you actually do get stuck in a snow drift or you slide off the road into a ditch and kind of bury your car in the snow, how to get yourself or someone else unstuck back onto the road, back on your way. And you might be thinking, well, why would I need to know how to get myself or someone else unstuck? I pay for, you know, whatever, whatever the service is, roadside assistance service. And all I have to do is call and they'll send someone out and they'll help. Well, it's really important to realize that in severe winter conditions, if that's what gets you stuck, it's very likely that a lot of other people are going to be stuck as well. And that's going to slow down those tow companies. It may take a lot longer to get to you than it normally would. And on top of that, if it's really bad, roads may be closed, roads may actually be impassable, and they may not actually physically be able to get to you, no matter how good of a service you're actually paying for. Now, before we actually get into gear to have with you in your car, let's talk real quick about treating this situation as a survival situation. Now, ideally, it's not going to turn into a real survival situation, but it's important to realize the reality that people do actually die as a result of getting stuck in the snow or sliding off the road every year in these winter driving conditions. So if we approach it with that mindset, realize that that's a very real possibility and that there are in general, just a handful of things that end up resulting in that, that can easily be avoided. Let's go ahead and talk about those. So there are actually really only two, two main things, um, that end up in fatalities when someone gets stuck in these winter driving conditions. Um, the primary one is actually when they get out of their car and decide to walk to their destination and then they never make it. And there are just a couple real considerations to make here. Uh, first of all, you need to realize how much harder it is to walk in the snow and ice than it is in regular conditions. And you may be absolutely correct that you can walk that half mile or mile or three miles or five miles to your destination under ideal conditions. But once you start talking about four inches of snow, you're probably at least doubling the effort. Once you start talking about six to eight inches of snow, I would guess that you're at least quadrupling the effort and anything over that. Once you start talking about like 
knee deep snow is just absolutely a huge amount of physical exertion to walk through. So, so don't compare the distance to your destination to what you know it to be under ideal conditions. Um, another, another thing is sometimes people will get out of their car, especially at night and they'll see a light off in the distance that doesn't seem to be that far away. And they think that they're going to be able to walk toward or walk to that light. That that's going to be a, a farm or a house or something somewhere where they could get shelter and help. And a uh, couple mistakes here. First of all, the distance of that light could be very, very deceiving, especially on like the open plains and especially at nighttime. Uh, a light that appears not that far away could be a mile away or could literally be 20 miles away or more. And it's just so hard to tell at night. On top of that, you don't actually know what that light is. It could just be a light on on some sort of unmanned gas pipe transfer station or something like that, where you're not going to find any help and you're not going to find any shelter. You also don't know what lies between you and and either that light or or if you're trying to walk like a straight line path, maybe you know, maybe you know where your house is, maybe you know where you are, and you think, oh, I'm just going to cut through here instead of driving the the four miles around these woods. I know that I'm only a half a mile from my house. All I have to do is walk through the woods, right? Well, especially if you're not familiar with that path through the woods, and maybe we're talking nighttime, we're talking about those harsh winter conditions, that could be a very bad idea if First of all, if you're not prepared for it, uh, prepared for it physically, um, prepared for it with the gear and the clothing that you have, and if no one knows where you are, that could end very, very badly. The, the second way that people end up dying when they're stuck in the snow is, well, we should actually talk about three. Uh, second one being a heart attack from overexertion, from, t- from trying to dig themselves out of the snow, push their car and just overexerting themselves to a to a level that they are not physically capable of and giving themselves a heart attack that does happen. And then the third is actually people trying to spend the night in their car, which is the good move, but they get cold and so they start the engine of their car and they don't realize that the snow has built up around the bottom of their car around their exhaust pipe and has actually created kind of a cave where their exhaust is going to come out of their exhaust pipe into that space under their car and actually isn't going to go away, but it's actually going to fill the car and, and asphyxiate them. So, um, that's just something to be aware of anytime that you're running your car, especially if it's parked idling and, and you're in those winter conditions, just be aware that that's a very real hazard. Now I did mention that Staying in the car is usually going to be the right move. Now, why is that? Well, there's there's a saying in uh, survival at sea or boating safety, stay with the boat if the boat stays afloat. And there are a few reasons for that. First of all, it's keeping you out of the water, um, which tends to help you stay warmer, tends to help you not get eaten by sharks, and also just makes you easier to find because in almost every single search and rescue case where someone had a vehicle, whether that's 
their car, their truck, their snow machine, their ATV, or their boat, guess what? The vehicle gets found first. So by leaving the vehicle and trying to go somewhere else to rescue yourself, what you've actually just done is extended the amount of time that it takes for you to be rescued if you're found and rescued at all. And if you had just stayed with the vehicle, at that moment when the vehicle is found, you would be found and rescued also. Now, particularly when it comes to winter driving, one of the biggest reasons to stay in your vehicle instead of trying to walk to some other shelter is that, and we've talked about this before on many of our survival skills episodes, remember our rule of threes. For those of you who aren't familiar with the rule of threes, let me just reiterate it really quickly. We have our basic needs of air, shelter, water, and food in that order. And yes, there are a lot of variables that play into exactly how this plays out, but in general, to help yourself prioritize and make good decisions in a survival situation, think of yourself as having no more than three minutes without air. So in three minutes without air, you definitely have to get that sorted out in less than that three minutes or you're in big trouble. Shelter, that's the next one. You have no more than three hours without shelter. Now, in different situations, this could look very different. If it's, and obviously the colder it is, the less time you have. Um, or maybe the hotter it is, the less time you have without shelter. But shelter includes everything from sunscreen, to your actual clothing system, to an actual physical shelter. Water is next, so three days without water, food, three weeks without food. So that's why we call it the rule of threes. Three minutes without air, three hours without shelter, three days without water, and three weeks without food. Hope I got that right that time. Anyway, um, like I said, there are a lot more variables that play into that, but that's kind of one of those very basic principles to keep in mind to help you make good decisions. So when it comes to your decision-making, one of the applications of that would be don't worry about something that you have three days to deal with, like finding water, when you have a more urgent need that's going to kill you a lot sooner, finding shelter. Also, don't sacrifice something that's providing for one of your more urgent needs. Like if you have shelter now, don't sacrifice that in order to try to procure food or water, something that you have more time to figure out. So when it comes to being stuck, say overnight in your car out on these winter roads, your car is your shelter. So by leaving your car, you're taking, remember air is number one, shelter is our number two survival concern. You're taking our number two survival priority and leaving it. You already have it mostly taken care of being in your car. That's your shelter. So don't leave that and risk not being able to reestablish good shelter. So with that in mind, there are a lot of things that you can have in your car that are either going to make that overnight stay more comfortable or help you avoid it altogether. So let's talk about some of those. So um, so this is our gear segment. Uh, first of all, your regular emergency supplies. And we've done episodes on this before, especially when it comes to emergency medical equipment that you should always have in your car. So um, go back and listen to some of those episodes if, if you need a little refresher on that. Um, next, uh, think about water and food. Now, food as a survival need, yeah, we have three weeks without food. We are not going to starve to death in our car. However, we might be a little less grumpy 
if we have something to eat. So think about keeping some sort of food in your car or, you know, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe, maybe you don't always have your emergency food in your car. Maybe you do. Maybe you just grab a couple MREs or something like that and always have those in your car. They're not great, but they're definitely better than being hungry. Or if you get hungry enough, MREs are better than going hungry. So water, on the other hand, um, we only have three days without water. Chances are you're probably not going to die of dehydration being stranded in the snow. We are surrounded by snow. So you could figure out a way to melt some of that snow and drink it. So you're probably not going to die of dehydration, but might not be a bad idea to have some water with you also. Now, keeping water in your car all the time over the winter, be careful with that because if it's cold, water freezes, and then you're not going to be able to drink it. So maybe instead of that, maybe you choose to do that anyway, that's up to you. But maybe instead of doing that before you leave, on your, on your trip, you're venturing out on your one hour or two hour or six hour drive or whatever it is, maybe just take a water bottle with you in your car. And no one likes being thirsty, so it doesn't hurt to sip on some water anyway. And if you do get into a situation where you need to dig yourself or someone else out and you're really physically exerting yourself, it might be really nice to have a sip of water afterwards. So think about having water with you too. All right. Um, now let's get into some of the more nitty gritty gear, um, blanket or sleeping bag in the winter, or maybe any time I would highly encourage you to always have either a wool blanket or sleeping bag with you in your car. You never know when you're going to get stuck, have to sleep in your car, and that's just going to make it a lot more comfortable along those same lines. Um, I don't know, maybe even think about an inflatable pillow and you know, you can writ, you can weigh the cost versus benefit of some of these things and how much space you have in your car and how likely it is that you think you might need to use it. Or in the event that you do need to use it, how much is it going to add to your comfort of having to spend the night in your car? So uh, just think about some of those things and how you can make yourself warmer and more comfortable if you are actually having to sleep in your car. Now, as far as actual emergency gear that I like to have with me um, in no particular order. So I've been trying, trying to think of an order to do these in that makes sense. Really can't think of any order. So uh, a good snow and ice scraper. And especially if you have a, a larger vehicle, get one of the ones that's extra long. The short ones are great. They're nice and compact. They fit in anywhere in your car. But if you have a bigger vehicle and you maybe can't reach the middle of your windshield, just get one of the bigger ones so that you can have that extra reach to, to be able to scrape your car and also to brush off the top of your car, your hood, all of that. Um, so snow and ice scraper with the scraper on one end, the snow brush on the other end, I consider that critical winter gear to have in your car. Uh, snow shovels. Now, um... I actually don't carry a regular snow shovel in my truck, um, the, the type that people usually use for scooping sidewalks. I find that it's actually not that useful for getting me or someone else unstuck out of the snow. Reason being, the thing that gets you stuck in the snow is not typically the snow that's in front of you. It's actually the snow that's under you. Once you bury 
the undercarriage of your car, your axles, your frame, once you bury that in the snow, that's what's holding you in place. And to get yourself unstuck, that's really what you need to dig out. So a big wide snow shovel that you would use for scooping off your driveway is just not going to fit under your car. So what I have are these smaller snow shovels that actually have a collapsible handle, um, not so much for storage, but because it's actually easier to work with a shorter shovel when you're working closer to the edge of the car. And then as you get further under the car, you can actually extend the handle out and reach further under. So, and then the, the blade of the shovel itself is much, much narrower than a typical like sidewalk shoveling snow shovel. Now with those snow shovels, I carry two of them in my car. Why? Well, not really so that I have a backup because they're pretty durable. So I don't think that one is going to break, but the real reason why I always carry two of those is because chances are most of the time when I need it is not to get myself out, but actually to help somebody else get out. So driving along the road, see somebody stuck either in a drift or in the ditch, whatever they need some help. And they typically don't have a shovel. So I show up and I have two shovels because what would happen if I only had one shovel? Well, either I'm going to sit there digging and I'm the one helping them. So they're going to feel really awkward that I show up and I'm doing all the work or I hand them the one shovel and they're digging and I'm sitting there thinking, man, this would go a lot faster if either I was doing the digging or if both of us were doing the digging. So easy solution. I have two shovels. So when I show up to help somebody, I can get out of my car with my two shovels, hand them one, direct them where they should start digging. And then I can take the other one and start digging too. It goes quicker. They don't feel like a slug just watching me dig them out and everybody's happy. So two shovels and get the collapsible narrow kind, uh, toe straps. Um, Straps versus chain is always one of the big questions. Uh, chain is stronger. However, you can get toe straps that are plenty strong to pull out even a heavy truck. So I have like extra, extra heavy duty toe straps. Um, I prefer the longer ones. Uh, I've never found myself in a situation where I was like, man, I wish my toe strap was shorter, but there are times when it's like, man, if it was just a little bit longer, that'd make this a lot easier. So go with a longer toe strap. And I like the straps versus chains because let's face it, if we're talking winter conditions, it's going to be cold and working with metal chain in the cold is just miserable. It just sucks the heat right out of your hands. So um, my recommendation is to go with an actual strap and just get a, a nice long one and a good heavy duty one, whatever you can afford. Um, what else I do? So usually these toe straps come with like a, a stitched in loop in the end. So it's like looped over and sewn back to itself. And sometimes that works if maybe you put that over, over a toe hitch or something like that. Um, Sometimes you can like loop it back through itself and, and attach it to the vehicle, but sometimes it just doesn't work depending on the exact configuration of, of your towing points and you just need some sort of hook or something. So I actually have 
Um, two large clevises also. Now those are metal. There's really no way around that. But I can take those clevises. I can put them through, you know, whatever tow point on the other car or on my car. Put the clevis through that and put it through the actual loop in the end of the tow strap. Screw it down and you're good to go. It just makes it a lot more versatile. And you, you don't have to use the clevises or hooks or giant carabiners or whatever you opt for. Um, but it'll, it will make your toe strap, uh, toe strap configuration just a lot more versatile. Uh, what else? Let's talk about traction devices. So traction devices, a lot of people think tire chains and yes, tire chains are a type of traction device. That's definitely an option. And we talked about that a little bit back in the the last episode when we were talking about tire options. Do you go with a mud and snow tire? Do you go with tire chains? Do you go with whatever? And some of the pros and cons of those, um, just a few thoughts on tire chains. And then we'll talk about some other, uh, some other options for traction devices. So uh, chains really have to be installed on, I'm going to say a flat dry surface. It can be wet, but you can't you can't install chains on your car like once you're sunk into the snow. It's just not going to happen. So so that's kind of one of the weaknesses of chains. If you forget to put them on before you get into trouble, then they don't do you any good. And honestly, if you think that you're going to be in that much trouble, that you really really need chains, maybe you should reconsider whether you you should be on the road to begin with. Um, just my opinion. Um, now there's some other devices that are very similar to chains. There's some that have like rubber strips with, uh, metal studs in them. Those work really well. In fact, I believe that those work even better than traditional chains. There's some fabric kind of sock things, uh, that you can put on your tires. Um, I guess those work pretty well too. Uh, with any of those that go like around your whole tire, you are really limited on your speed. Uh, so just be aware of that. Uh, I think most of them, the manufacturer's recommendation is to limit your speed to like 20 or 25 miles per hour. And, um, yeah, so just keep that in mind, but if it makes sense for you have, keep those in your car. If you're going to have them, if you're going to bother owning them, just keep them in your car. Uh, you don't want to have them in your garage and maybe, you know, maybe you live out of town like I do and you keep your chains in your garage, you go to town for work, and the weather gets really bad while you're in town, and you're like, man, I wish I had my chains in the trunk of my car so I could just put them on while I'm in the parking lot here at work and then drive home safely, but oh no, my chains are at home. Now I don't have them. So if you're going to opt to have one of those, those types of traction devices, keep it in your car. And... The idea with those is is not really to like get you out of a ditch or out of an extra deep snowbank once you're in. It's really for nice, slow, safe driving on the road where you intended to be. Now, there are these really cool things. Well, let's just talk about some of the other options, some of the other traction devices that actually are designed for getting you unstuck. And I really like some of these. So, um, I think most of them are typically called like by their brand name. I'm not going to endorse any particular brand name. I'm just going to kind of describe the device. So there's one type of device that's think of it as basically being a hard rubber brick with 
a heavy duty strap on it. And basically what you do is you, you lay that brick against your tire, you run that strap around your tire, like through your wheel, tighten it down. And then instead of your wheel spinning, your wheel's going to spin until that rubber brick hits the ground or snow and it's going to force it to really dig in and just helps lift your car. Now, once, once you're kind of past that, it may go jump and like your tire may spin again until that rubber brick comes back around and hits the ground or snow again. And then gives you another, like maybe another 12 inches of travel every time that it kind of thump, thump, thump. Um, but those can be really effective at giving you just a massive amount of traction to kind of lift yourself up out of the snow. Um, one thing that I have done before, and I can't technically recommend this because I don't think that it's endorsed as appropriate rescue technique by any vehicle manufacturer, but if you can find like a two by four or a two by six, just a board, maybe four feet long, six feet long, whatever you have and shove it down between, and I'm talking once you're stuck in the snow and really like shove it down between your tire and the snow and Again, this has to be on your drive tires. Remember that from the earlier episode. Know which tires are your drive tires because if we're talking a front-wheel drive vehicle and you're putting your traction on the rear wheels, it's not going to do anything because those rear wheels are just along for the ride. So identify your drive tires. Take that board, shove it down, kind of angle it down between the tire and the snow and really shove it down in there. And the idea is that your tire is going to have more traction against that board than it would have against the snow. And it'll help your car ride up and out of the snow. It actually works pretty well. Now that said, there are some, some actual tools made that serve the same purpose. Uh, they have a lot of different names. Um, I, th- one of the kind of general names for them is traction mats. So if you look up vehicle traction mat, uh, there are a lot of different manufacturers. Uh, some of them are like kind of three or four segmented plastic pieces that fold up. Uh, some of them are like heavy duty rubber and it rolls up for storage and then you can unfold or unroll it. And it gives you this mat that you lay down, kind of shove it under your tire as much as you can lay it up on top of the snow and it'll give your tire that traction to grip into. And then, and then the bottom of that traction mat actually grips into the snow, kind of like a, uh, kind of like a skin on a backcountry ski would just allows your car to, to pull itself up out of the snow. So, um, do some research on those. I would highly recommend getting a set of those, uh, for your vehicle and just keep them in your vehicle all the time in your emergency kit. Now, I don't think we can have this discussion without talking about sand. Um, couple thoughts on sand. Oof. Um, it's not a terrible idea, um, but it's basically serving the same purpose as those traction devices that we just talked about. And the traction devices are just so much more effective at doing that job. Uh, the idea with the sand is that it, it gives your, your tires that traction once you get it down between your tire and the snow. It may work, but the those those traction devices, those uh, traction mats, are going to do that job a lot better. Now, a lot of people say that they'll also keep, like, especially if they have maybe an older model pickup that's um, rear wheel drive and 
and light in the rear end because typically pickups are a little right, a little light in the rear end because they're designed to have weight in the bed. So they're kind of optimized for having a certain amount of weight in the bed. So with an empty bed, which is how most of us drive around most of the time, you end up just being a little light in the rear end. So people say, oh, get some sandbags, throw them back in the bed of your truck or in the trunk of your car or whatever. It'll give you some extra weight and some extra traction, which isn't a terrible idea. I guess it would. Um, Then if you remove it and dump it out, then you've, I guess, lost that extra advantage. And uh, the other thing to think about is that most sandbags, when you buy sand, um, it's actually fairly damp inside that bag. We're talking winter driving conditions. So what happens when water gets cold? It freezes. What happens when that bag of damp sand gets cold? It freezes too. And you end up with a solid block of icy sand instead of nice granular sand that might actually do the job of giving you the traction that you need. So uh, just my personal recommendation, I wouldn't bother with the sand. I would go ahead and get one of those modern traction mats or other traction devices. And I'm sure I'm missing something when it comes to emergency gear, specifically for for winter driving. Um, Like I said, go listen to some of the previous episodes on general emergency supplies, because you should have those too. Those could be helpful too. Let's go ahead and jump into some vehicle handling tips for driving in these winter conditions. And for many of you who are used to driving in winter conditions, a lot of this is just going to sound like common sense. For those of you who maybe live in those milder climates and maybe you're just on that Christmas vacation trip to somewhere that does get that severe winter weather, maybe maybe this is where you really pay attention. So um, again, in no particular order, number one, um, reduce distractions. So maybe you're used to listening to loud music and maybe you just need to turn the music down. Uh, put the phone away. Don't be texting. You shouldn't be texting anyway, but maybe don't even take that hands-free phone call. Just reduce distractions. You'll be able to hear the road better. You'll be more engaged. You'll be less likely to um, slide off the road to your, your reactions will be faster. So just anything you can do to reduce distractions. Maybe you have kids with you, politely ask them to pipe down instead of, I don't know, singing a bunch of songs. I don't know, whatever, whatever it takes to reduce whatever it is that's distracting you at the moment. Um, I know this should go without saying, but wear your seatbelt. You should wear your seatbelt all the time, but yeah, just a reminder. Couldn't, couldn't let that one go. Uh, slow down. So just because the speed limit sign says 65 does not mean once we're encountering these winter driving conditions, that you should still drive 65 miles an hour. The worse it gets, the more you should slow down. Now, this this really just sounds like common sense saying this, but um, there are several reasons why you should slow down. Um, first of all, when the road is slippery, you will have more control the slower you're going. The faster you're going, the more likely it is that you will lose control, slide off the road, or get into an accident. Um the other main reason is visibility. So your it doesn't even change your reaction time. It gives you more time to react to something the slower you're going. And in in these severe winter driving conditions, we're going to have reduced visibility. So 
the distance at which we see something ahead of us that we need to react to is going to be shorter than it would be in ideal conditions. So by slowing down, we're giving ourselves enough time to react to that and to slow our vehicle down before it causes a problem. Um, and along those same lines, increase your following distance. If you're driving behind somebody, um, don't hesitate to go ahead. If, if we're talking about severe conditions and low visibility, don't hesitate to go ahead and turn those flashers or hazard lights on. Uh, that'll just help get somebody's attention. If they're driving up behind you, maybe the person who's behind you isn't driving as slow as you think that you need to be driving. So they're closing that distance and a flashing light is going to get somebody's attention a lot sooner than that, than just your solid tail lights. So go ahead and turn those emergency flashers or hazard lights on. Um, Depending on the exact visibility conditions, turn your high beams off. Now, this is something that you can experiment with because sometimes you can see better with your high beams on, but oftentimes if we're dealing with fog, blowing snow, sleet, combination of all of the above, oftentimes you can actually see a lot better if you turn those high beams off. This may sound simple, but the main reason for that is because snow is white, if you haven't noticed. You look out at a snowy field in the morning after fresh snow, it's white, right? Falling snow is also white. White is reflective. So the more light you're throwing out there, the more light is getting reflected back into your eyes off of that snow versus allowing you to kind of see through the snow further. So turn those high beams off and you'll probably be able to see further down the road. Um, also turn your cruise control off. Now, modern cars are getting better at this, but it's still a little sketchy where if you're in cruise control and you start sliding, your car may not necessarily realize it. And then usually your first reaction is going to be to, to hit your brakes to turn the cruise control off. And if we're talking about really slick roads or roads with slick spots, you're better off. Um, well, and how would I describe this? Uh, your cruise control is based on the rotational speed of your wheels, not like the speed that your car is traveling through the air or over the ground. So once you hit that slick spot, your car, if it's in cruise control, is going to keep those wheels spinning at that, say, 70 mile an hour rotational speed, even though you're sliding sideways down that ice. Um, not a good thing. So better just to um, turn the cruise control off and and just drive with your gas pedal and it'll be safer. Um, definitely utilize your four wheel drive and all wheel drive before you slide off the road. So if you have those, those options equipped on your car, don't hesitate to use those. Uh, do check your manufacturer's recommendation on your max speed. Once you've engaged all wheel drive or four wheel auto or four wheel drive, um, Check your manual and just see what your maximum safe driving speed is in those modes. Um, now, that's that's kind of the basic stuff. Uh, what else? Oh, if you, this is definitely a basic one for anybody that's ever driven in slick conditions, but it's not necessarily intuitive until you've done it a few times, and then it kind of becomes natural. And that is that if you start to slide, usually your car is not going to slide perfectly straight. Usually it's going to kind of twist one way or the other. So what you need to do is to steer into the slide. 
And what I mean by that, picture yourself going down the road and you, you hit a slick spot and your back end starts to kind of swing out over to the right. So it feels like your, your front end's going over to the left. What you need to do is steer to the right. And the reason for that is that the way, the way to get a vehicle to stop sliding is actually to, to get the speed and direction of the tire rotation to match the speed and direction of the pavement as it's going past your car. This is relativity with your car being a stationary point, and I guess the whole earth spinning under it. You get what I'm saying. So picture your car as being stationary and the pavement is sliding past your car underneath. You need to match the rotational speed and direction of your tires to that speed and direction that the pavement is moving underneath your car. So if the pavement's moving a little sideways underneath your car, you need to turn your wheels into that slide so that your wheels are spinning in that same direction. Slamming on your brakes is not necessarily going to help. Uh, Anti-lock braking systems do help with this now, so it's not as bad. Um, Without anti-lock brakes, you can basically bring your tires to a complete stop fairly rapidly and your car is still sliding. In that case, what you would actually need to do is let off the brake, maybe even get it, give it just a little bit of gas to get those tires spinning again to match the speed and direction between your tires and the pavement. So I uh, hope that makes sense. If that doesn't make sense or you're like, wow, I have no idea what he's talking about because you've, I don't know, maybe you live in some really mild climate where you've never driven on ice before. Um, maybe go take a class. I don't know. Maybe they have an ice rink near you where you can drive around. I don't even know what's available out there. Um, but, uh, hope that makes sense that the way to get your vehicle under control is to steer into that slide. If, um, and, and match the, the speed also. So don't stomp on the gas because that'll get your wheels really spinning and don't stomp on the brakes because that'll bring them to a complete stop, but just kind of let off and let everything. In, in fact, when in doubt, let off both the brake and the gas when you're sliding and just gently steer into that turn, not severely, because if you steer too severely, once you get traction again, then you like overcorrect, and that's when people either go off the road entirely or flip their car. So, so just gently, just a little bit at a time, a little more, a little more until you get it under control, steer into that slide without touching the gas or the brake. That's probably the best, best practice. What else? Um, Try to alternate between scanning as far ahead as you can see and close. As far ahead as you can see and then back close. As far ahead and then bring it back close. Um, what else? Uh, be aware, one of, the, one of the most dangerous driving conditions, in my opinion, is when you have the combination of something called black ice and snow snakes. Uh, now, snow snakes, that's when you have a little bit of like usually pretty cold. So you have that kind of crystally snow that can blow around drier snow. It's not a warmer snow that clumps together. It's that drier snow. So it's fluffy and blows around and you have some wind and the wind picks up some of that snow and blows it across the road, kind of in these wavy streaks. Those in and of themselves are not dangerous at all. The dangerous thing about them is that they obscure your view of the road. 
So if there is a slick spot, you're not going to be able to see it. And then we have something called black ice, which is ice that's basically clear. Um, sometimes that's because it's melted and then refrozen. So you have nice, just a nice sheet of ice and you can actually see through it and see the pavement. So it makes it really hard to see that there's ice there because it pretty much just looks like pavement. So you can imagine if you combine that black ice with the snow snakes, by the time you realize that you're on ice or that you have ice coming up, you're probably already on it and possibly already sliding. So when you have those conditions, that's the time to just slow it down even more, be even more careful, reduce those distractions even more, and and just be safe. That's all I can think of for vehicle handling tips for actually staying on the road and not getting into a wreck when you're driving. Well, let's talk about what happens when you slide off the road, or maybe there's a big drift on the road and you just drive into it and you're stuck. So um, like I mentioned before, usually it's the underside of the car that's stuck. So that's where you need to focus your digging effort is actually digging out the underside of the car so that you can see daylight all the way underneath from front to back, because you would be amazed how even just like a little bit of snow packed up there against your axles, against your undercarriage is really going to hold that vehicle in place, even if you have a pretty powerful vehicle uh, towing or pulling it. So that's tip number one. Realize that. Focus your efforts there. Get those narrow snow shovels out. Dig out under the car first. Now, um, typically you're going to have one person driving, hopefully, and uh, maybe maybe you have help. Take that back. Forget that I was even saying that. You're always going to have somebody behind the wheel because even if you're just by yourself alone, your car has more power than you have to push it. So given the option of driving versus pushing, I'm going to be driving. Anyway, um, if possible, try to keep your tires straight. I see a lot of people that think they're going to get unstuck by like wiggling and they just go back, forth, back, forth, left, right, left, right, really fast with the wheel as they're like stepping on the gas. That doesn't work. Try to keep your your tires straight and then accelerate very, very, very slowly. And actually, before you do that, I should mention again, if you have four-wheel drive, engage that. If you have four-wheel low, absolutely go ahead and engage that as soon as you're stuck and trying to get unstuck. So, so get it into that four-wheel low, keep your tires straight, and then just barely, barely press on the accelerator and and get those tires moving as slowly as possible with as much torque as possible. Now, usually, once those tires break loose and start spinning, sometimes that'll get you out. Not usually. Um, sometimes, usually, if, if you're just on the verge of getting out... Um, and maybe, maybe it spins a little and catches some grip and kicks you out. But generally what happens is once those tires start spinning, the friction between the tire and the snow actually generates some heat, which melts the snow, which creates water, which actually creates a slicker surface. And as that snow melts, you're also sinking down further into the snow and actually getting more stuck. So most of the time, Nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, spinning your tires is counterproductive. So as soon as you feel those tires start to actually just kind of spin out of control and you'll see your tachometer go up, you'll hear your engine rev up, 
As soon as that happens, let go of the accelerator. Try not to do that. Accelerate very, very slowly. Um, now, if you have more people, uh, you know, utilize whatever gear you have. Uh, don't don't hesitate to get those traction devices out. Don't hesitate to get those straps out. Don't hesitate to get the snow shovels out. Whatever you have, just get it out. Use it. Get yourself or whoever you're helping out. Get them unstuck. What else as far as tips go? Oh, if you have multiple people, um, keep an eye on each other. Pace yourself. Don't overdo it. Um, like I mentioned before, people give themselves heart attacks because they kind of underestimate the the physical intensity of shoveling snow to get a car unstuck. So definitely pace yourself. And if it's really cold, you're going to warm yourself up by through that physical exertion. Let's say that you're in great shape. You're not going to give yourself a heart attack. Still be careful and still pace yourself because um, if you get all sweaty and then it's cold, now you're suddenly increasing your risk of hypothermia. So um, pace yourself and keep an eye on each other. If you have multiple people, maybe even just take turns shoveling every few minutes, just shovel for two minutes and then switch. That could be a great idea. Now, even though a car has way more power than a person pushing, if you do have multiple people, it definitely does not hurt to push also. So one person driving, doing that very, very slow acceleration, keeping the wheels as straight as possible, then everybody else can get out and push, push from the direction. Like if you want the car to go forward, get behind it. Don't try to pull it because if it does come loose, like it'll drive over you. So be smart about this. Um, be safe. And that's really all of the kind of tips I can think of for getting your car unstuck. Um, maybe one other tip, just be aware, like have a plan for where you're pulling the car to as you're trying to get unstuck. So don't, don't get it like from one spot into a worse spot. I guess that would be my last tip. No, that's my second to last tip. Last tip for getting unstuck. And this, this goes for if you're the one who's stuck and someone else shows up to help you. This just popped into my mind because since I recorded the last episode, I actually had one more person that I had to help. So in one week, in less than seven days, I had to help six people get dug out and towed out of their sticky winter driving situations. And of the six, only two said thank you. So that's my final tip is if somebody does stop to help you, just make sure to at least just say thank you. That's nobody's looking for money or anything like that, but say thank you. That's all I have for this week. Until next week, stay safe, enjoy the winter, and pursue your Mastercraft. Bye. Theme music for the Master of None podcast is Club Seamus by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Creativecommons.org. If you need some of your own original music, go check out Kevin's other work at his website, incompetech.com. Incompetech.com.